0: Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them.
1: National parks offer some of the best birding in the country. From Acadia National Park in Maine to Big Bend National Park in Texas and over to Haleakala National Park in Hawaii, you could spend days looking overhead for new species to add to your life list. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at the National Parks Traveler. But as rich as national parks are in bird life, that's not to say it's business as usual in the birding world. At Acadia National Park, for example, dramatic changes have been noted in the wintering bird populations. American tree sparrows, once fairly abundant, have been on the decline, while northern cardinals and wild turkeys, two species that normally aren't linked to the park, have been on the rise lately. To get a better understanding of what's going on at Acadia, we've reached out to Kyle Lima, a Scudic Institute data analyst who analyzed bird observations collected as part of the National Audubon Society's Christmas Bird Count to better understand the birding situation at Acadia. We'll be back in a minute with Kyle. Whether
0: it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com. P-O-T-R-E-R-O Group.com. Full of stunning photography and thought-provoking reads, Smoky's Life is a biannual magazine produced by Great Smoky Mountains Association. Members receive it free of charge each spring and fall and it is available for purchase in retail stores throughout Great Smoky Mountains National Park and online at smokiesinformation.org. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org.
1: Welcome to the Traveler Kyle, great to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be on. Hey, before we get into analytics, um can you paint a traditional birding picture of Acadia for us?
2: Yeah, I think that Acadia is very spruce fir heavy or dominant, and with that comes a certain suite of birds, and it's also coastal, right? So, we get these interesting combinations of spruce fir forest birds with this ocean specific uh, group of ducks and different species that also just inhabit the water. So for example, Blackburnian warbler is something um, that I consider to be sort of a specific, this like hemlocky coniferous forest bird that you would find on land. Um, It's very, it really likes the top of these really high trees and sings really loudly, this increasing high pitched song which makes it very hard to see and that's really common uh, with all these big to the east coast trees having having this sort of thing in the park makes it really difficult to see a lot of these these eastern warblers that are really common in the park Um, but the as you walk down any sort of trail or along the coast um, you'll have this cacophony of bird songs uh, all summer long and it's a really musical and magical kind of place. Um, Swainsons or well, hermit thrush and other species like that singing this ethereal song, um, while also maybe hearing some uh, of the wave la- the waves lapping uh, at the coast and seeing common eider or uh, black Guillemot, these different water birds um, just kind of riding and feeding in the different lines of the ocean.
1: Yeah, it must be really. Um spectacular and and seasonal also cuz uh you guys are uh, a migratory route for a lot of raptors aren't you
2: Yes we have a hawk watch that's been established on the top of one of our mountains in the park and so that's been going on for quite a few years now i think 20 some and so we have a lot of this raptor fall fall raptor migration data that we've been collecting through scudic institute and the national Acadia national park um which is shown some really interesting things. And I think that that's one project that Skudik's looking at, um, kind of doing some analysis similar to this project in the future.
1: Now that begs the question, what's what's the difference? I mean, didn't the, the Christmas birdwatch, um, I, I guess, is that outside of the, the fall migration? So you wouldn't normally have a, a bunch of raptors coming through anyway?
2: Exactly, yeah. So our study here is specific to the winter months, um, really only a two week period roughly. Um, starting around December 15th and ending January 5th. And so this is the National Audubon Society's Christmas bird count period. And so within this, uh, basically these count circles um, that are about 15 miles in diameter have been established all across the country, um, or really the continent of North America. And so in each of these, you know, within that period, they do this established count um, that's been going on since 1900. And so different count locations started at different years, and ours started in 19, well, roughly 1971 is when we started having consistent data here at Skudik and on the Mount Desert Island side of um, the two different counts that we, we included in our study. And so basically, this is a very different period from when hawks are migrating or passerine birds, small songbirds are migrating back from the south. So it's this kind of barren, cold, snowy, icy period where nobody's breeding and everyone here is just trying to stay
1: alive. (laughs) Um, How how many bird species does um, Acadia have? I mean, is it safe to say 100, 200, 50?
2: Yeah, it depends on what you're considering. Like so, for example, you know, there's species that come Uh, that aren't normally around, and maybe they only have appeared one or two times and been documented by people that just happen to run into them. But regularly occurring, say, like breeding species, I think we're talking in the between 100 and 200 um, species. And I think, so for the Christmas bird count alone, we have documented uh, 162 species between Mount Island and the Scudic Peninsula.
1: Wow. Wow. Uh, Are you a birder? I am, yeah. I started
2: my journey in uh, around 2012 um, and I've been birding since then.
1: And w- what's your life list up to? <laughs> I think it's uh, <laughs> uh,
2: somewhere over a thousand something. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. All right. That's from um, a few
2: different continents. So that helps.
1: know no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I know it's a, a passion and it drives people to go to some incredible places. That's for sure. It
2: certainly does, yeah.
1: So, I mean, we've already touched on this a little bit, but um, if I came out to Acadia in, in the summer or in the spring or in the fall, what what birds might I bird species might I normally see?
2: Yeah, so the summer is definitely or early summer, late spring is really the most diverse period. Um, it's when you have the most species around and also the most um, visible. And so that's because things are all these different species are trying to establish their habitat or their 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 territories for breeding season, um, trying to gain food and find mates. So singing is very abundant um, in the search of that mate. And so some examples are if you were to walk along some of the awesome trails in Acadia, um, kind of this maybe you're in an area that's forest on one side and marsh on the other side. You could have things like common yellow throats, which is a small songbird that's really bright yellow on the breast and very otherwise kind of olive drab. So they can hide really well, but also be a little flashy. Um, and they sing this very loud song. They're really common, um, very present in any sort of kind of wetland marsh area. thrush, like I was mentioning, really great forest bird, common, and their song is super distinct. That's just like this very ethereal, crazy song that sounds like multiple birds are singing at the same time. Um, And on top of that, maybe something like the oven bird would be in the forest as well. Um, They kind of have this very loud um, song. They look like a thrush, so they're very drab, which is not necessarily common of the warblers, but it is a warbler at the same time. So very beautiful bird there. You called it the oven bird? Yep, oven bird, one word. It's uh, named after the the style of nest that it makes, so the, it actually will nest on the ground and create this kind of oven-like dome, and that's where
1: it, it lays its eggs. Wow, wow. I mean, I can, I can identify some birds, um, chickadees, um, loons, bald eagles, obviously. They're pretty easy, yep. but um, most birds are LGBs. Um, you know what LGB is, don't you?
2: Yeah, the, the little brown
1: jobs. A little gray bird, little gray bird, yeah.
2: yeah. There's a bunch of variations of that, I think.
1: <laughs> there, there are, and depending on the season. And, of course, one of the things that Acadia is famous for are the peregrine falcons um, that, that nest in the springtime, and everybody's kind of curious, you know, are they going to have a successful hatch, and are the, the hatchlings going to fledge?
2: Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, so our study, so there are a few pairs that kind of hang around, um, or at least are, are the few individuals that are present in the winter, too, and so Katie has a lot of different management actions in place to try to protect these peregrine falcons from any sort of harm during the nesting season. But we can kind of say with our study that was focused on that, you know, that few week period in, in December and January that we actually saw an increase in peregrine falcon populations in this 50 year trend that we are looking at and so that's one example of conservation actions that we found seemingly are working. Um, And the other examples of that are like the wild Turkey and the bald eagle. Both were at low numbers in the early seventies and have really rebounded because of these conservation actions that we've taken, not just locally, but at a much larger conservation standpoint as well.
1: Yeah. Is uh, the peregrine a year round um, species? They kind of
2: are now they're becoming a little bit more year round so a few numbers of them very low numbers will stick around through the winter so there are we do have quite a few records for them on the christmas bird count in this area um as well as there's a few um, in some local areas uh, surrounding acadia as well
1: Yeah, This is Kurt Repencheck We're talking uh, today about birds in Acadia National Park And fluctuations in the species you might see Uh, Particularly during the winter months We've got uh, Kyle Lima, an ecologist and data analyst At the Skutik Institute Helping us, uh, guide us through the species changes We'll be back in a minute after this short break
0: Listener and reader support Make National Parks Traveler possible Every day of the year if you enjoy the Traveler's content, please consider a donation via nationalparkstraveler.org. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own. Foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the national park system for decades to come. You can see their successes at gtnpf.org. The Everglades Foundation, the only organization whose sole mission is to restore and protect America's Everglades. Learn more at evergladesfoundation.org. Interior Federal Credit Union offers a large suite of savings products, including secondary savings accounts for budgeting, individual retirement accounts, health savings accounts, education savings accounts, money marketing accounts, and certificates. Start the new year off with an account at Interior Federal Credit Union and get ready for all the adventures 2023 has to offer. Not a member yet? Go to interiorfcu.org and click on the membership icon on the homepage. Federally insured by NCUA.
1: Okay, we're back with Kyle Lima, an ecologist and data analyst from the Skudik Institute at Acadia National Park. Kyle, what prompted this study? I mean, you know, obviously the, the Christmas bird count has been going on for for decades, um, if not longer than that. Um, why did you guys decide to, you know, take a closer look at the data that was being uh, accumulated? We So our bird ecology program director, uh, Seth
2: Benz, has been... Participating in this count for a long time now, and has been the compiler for it as well for a few years now, since I think the early 2000, no, around 2013, I want to say, so a few years, and so his involvement with this, as well as our mission, um, kind of aligns with looking at historical data sources. So we're very interested as the institute um, in using long-term data and things that have been collected historically and then trying to understand the change that has occurred from then to now. And so this was a perfect example that was already kind of in-house with Seth at our and on our team. And we thought we just thought it was a perfect example to try to show the usefulness of historical data and comparing that to modern day stuff. And so that was kind of where the inspiration came from.
1: So how many years of data did you look at so we started
2: the we had we had used basically these two christmas bird count circles one in mount desert island and one on the scutic peninsula and so they both started at different times but consistently they've been collecting data almost every year since 1971 so we started with 1971 and went up to uh 2021 data so we have 50 years of data
1: wow when did you notice things begin to change You can
2: definitely see things pretty quickly, and I think that anybody who was participating in these counts, this is a citizen science effort, so the community members come and participate, volunteer their time, and help us count these birds for science. And I think that if you asked any of them who've been participating for a long time, some people have been participating for that whole period of time, and they would have a lot of really interesting notes from their experience um since our analysis was specifically for that full-time period we can't say exactly when things started changing a lot but i think that a lot of the trends that we see are are fairly consistent across the full period so things that have been increasing have been increasing for most of the period whereas things that have been steady have kind of had fluctuations throughout um one thing that is really apparent though in some species that we couldn't that there was no statistical trend in these species that appear to have no change in the last decade or two especially we've seen drops in those numbers of individuals of that species so an example of that is like herringo where their their trend from our study is consistent however in the last 20 years they've actually dropped most recently to all-time lows. So that's those are some different examples of that, I think.
1: Now, um obviously as you mentioned earlier, you've got basically two type, two types of ecosystems there that you're looking at. I mean the coastal and then the forest areas. Kind of interesting you you're seeing somewhat similar trends in both, right? I mean, you've got the um you got the herring gull going down, the, the boreal chickadee went down, um, the American tree sparrow went down, uh, the black duck kind of went down. Um, was that surprising? I think in some ways, yes. The interesting thing is that,
2: you know, I think our our seabirds are things that appear in much larger numbers. So they're, you know, common eider, white-winged scoter, these things are very, very large flocking birds. So these big graphs um, will be apparent from the land when we're doing our, our CBCs, uh, which is the Christmas bird count for short. And so the difference, I guess, there is that we're seeing much larger decreases in the numbers just based on the abundance of those species. So like with the water birds and our, for example, so our 43% drop in total bird abundance from 1971 to today, it's really driven by those large water birds, the commoniter, and scoter, things like that, long-tailed duck. And then you have these passerines on land that have also been decreasing, like you mentioned. And a lot of those, I think, aren't that much of a surprise. And so, for example, the boreal chickadee or the Canada jay that you mentioned, those species have both decreased, and that's really related to their habitat. They are really dependent upon dense spruce fir forests, things that we know as the boreal forest, and that that southern range has really retracted, and with that comes a loss of those species from this area.
1: Wow, yeah, I was going to ask you what what uh, what can you point to as far as driving these changes, and um, obviously climate change and habitat change related to climate change. And I guess I don't know if it's happening quicker than some of us might expect, or not. Um, so these species that are disappearing—they're just finding better habitat farther north, so to speak. I mean, I, I can understand that with with the forest birds. Um, I'm still trying to get my head around the the coastal birds and what's driving them to to move.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, it's specific, it's very species specific a lot of these things. But in general when we're talking about the like boreal species, um these forest birds that need northern forests, their habitat is just being really restrained and be- it's just less and less of it. So not only are they moving north per se, but I think that there's also uh just decreases in their population in general as their total area of possible habitat of appropriate habitat is decreasing, then there's just not enough as there's not enough land and and resources to support as many individuals. And then on the flip side with the ocean birds, you know, there's some species like the harlequin duck that actually increased this is a you know, they forage along the rough kind of coastline feeding right against the rocks where the waves are, are, you know, landing really hard and breaking. And for some reason, we're not exactly sure they seem to be increasing but at the same time these other species that maybe have problems in the nesting season like common eider um and their kind of predation of young on nesting islands with gulls especially and different things there's probably causes for their decrease and not just shifting but also actual decrease in their population from these different events that are affecting them with climate change and different predation and I guess kind of in tandem with that, not only are things moving north, but we're also seeing, well, the northern species moving north, but also the southern species are moving north, right? So as everything's kind of shifting, we're seeing tufted titmouse, red bellied woodpecker, northern cardinal, for example, moving up and becoming more and more common here in Acadia, which they used to not even be present. So, And that's just within about 50 years that change has happened
1: yeah yeah at the same time um the boreal chickadee has that basically vanished from the park
2: essentially yeah they i think in the last two decades there's maybe two records from the christmas bird count wow yeah and then they used to be fairly common not and they were never very very common birds because they're a little secretive and they always required really nice dense forest um but still, they're very much, I mean, you you would be very hard-pressed to find them anywhere along the coast of Maine now. The whole coast of Maine? Yep. Even wow. down east, far down east Maine, as we call it, um, you know, the Lubeck area, it's There, they used to be, you know, even just a decade ago, when I started birding, I could find them around there in very few numbers, but now it's becoming very, very, very hard.
1: Yeah, Wow. This is Kurt Repencheck. We're talking today with Kyle Lima, an ecologist and data analyst for the Skudik Institute about bird changes at Acadia National Park. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
0: Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It's also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at
1: brpfoundation.org. so kyle in your analysis of the christmas bird count numbers um i believe you noted that 33 species in particular are on the rise can you point to some of those yeah so that's a
2: really great point to highlight and something that i want to make clear is that it's not all doom and gloom right we have 42 species declining but also 33 increasing and on top of that we're seeing new species being added to the count almost every year. So our species total keeps adding and we're finding new species that are, didn't used to ever be on the count newly recorded each year. And so with that, we know that there's change happening, right? And so like I kind of mentioned, Tufted to Titmouse, Red-Bellied Woodpecker, and Northern Cardinal are a few examples of species that are increasing. Some more examples could be like, oh yeah, the Harlequin Duck, Mallard, northern flicker, and maybe some interesting things like uh, red-throated loon and common loon. So a a good mix of forest birds, water birds, they all have, it's very species-specific, which ones maybe are increasing and decreasing.
1: But I'm wondering, I mean, in terms of doom and gloom, isn't there some interconnectedness or dependencies between species? For instance, out, out west um, the white bark pine tree relies on the Clark's nutcracker and even squirrels to distribute its seeds and whatnot. I mean, do you have situations like that where one of those uh, gardeners, so to speak, a bird gardener, is leaving the area, and so that will have an impact on this spread of a particular type of vegetation or tree species?
2: That's that's absolutely true. Um, I think that. The reason that a lot of these things are changing is because of the one the climate conditions two influences by human disturbance and just humans changing the landscape and with that comes this. change in the forest composition or just vegetation composition, whatever it may be, and so, as these species that maybe have this sort of mutualistic relationship that rely on each other as well for continuing life in a certain area, as the climate around that, or as disturbances affecting it, you know, this is gonna, it's gonna cause change. And so, although those same specific events may not be happening in the same area anymore, I think that there's a possibility for new events to come in. So new relationships to kind of take the place of that. And I think that that's a really important piece of future conservation. Um And being able to maintain certain ecosystem functions that maybe are are specific or really are important to not only the environment specifically but also to humans in a lot of ways,
1: well, yeah, it's a very dynamic situation, and it's got to uh, eventually, if not already, be driving um, management um, decisions in the in the national park um, specifically in terms of, you know, we've we've had this debate over recent years over invasive species and non-native species. And, you know, I like to joke about, you know, how long does it take an invasive species to become a native species? And, you know, if you're trying to maintain a landscape, a natural resource, as it's always been, A, you probably can't do that, and, and B, um, you have to make a lot of hard choices about, you know, do we... Do we try and, you know, keep out the invasive species or do we try to be more aggressive in, in possibly, you know, um, revegetating areas with native species, which the conditions have changed to the point where it's tough for them to hang on?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I know Acadia National Park is doing a lot of great work with this and they're certainly considering that and a lot of their
1: management actions. So, Have you seen any um, detrimental effects of this changeover in species i mean obviously a a wild turkey will have a a different um impact on the landscape than a boreal chickadee for sure um you know it's funny i've i've lived in in utah for um geez going on 30 years and um this year for the first time we saw wild turkeys in our backyard and um you have to, you know, the, the way they come in first, there was one and then there was three and then there was a flock of about 15 or 20 and they just come through the landscape and, you know, eat as much as they can, it seems. And that's, that's got to have a some sort of impact on the other bird species.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're certainly right. I mean, there are going to be changes that cause, you know, new competition between species. Our study specifically doesn't, um, capture that per se but trying to think of some examples um i mean i think you're right like wild turkey have become really common here and that's due to a lot of different conservation actions from the state and so with that i mean there and with anything that's coming in in large numbers there's going to be different food competition and maybe habitat competition between species that didn't normally Interact in this way. Um, And I think that's a really great place to focus some research in the future. And I think that it's a super interesting aspect of trying to promote management that will last for the long term.
1: Yeah, yeah. We had hoped to have a biologist from the park join us today um, to discuss some of these changes, but unfortunately, on such short notice, we weren't, weren't able to uh, line them up. So perhaps um, down the road, a, a different uh, podcast will we'll connect with them and get their um, thoughts on these changeovers. So, what do you do with this data? Where do you go from here?
2: Yeah, I think that a big part of what we're trying to do with studies like this is provide information for. Park and surrounding areas in general, to try to understand what's happening locally and then um go from there with and make their decisions for what needs to be done about it. We're really trying to focus on creating the science that can inform management actions in real time. And so we hope that this study will be used for informing future management locally, not just in the park but also at a broader scale with different land conservation. Uh, easements or whatever nearby
1: yeah i'm wondering what about the um the local populations i mean um people have bird feeders in their backyard and they they like to see specific species a lot of times and so they'll they'll put out um different types of seeds or or suets or whatnot any sense on on you know what the the local population is thinking about this or, or whether they are trying to provide the um the feeds that um, some of these traditional birds relied on and, and hope that they'll stick around.
2: Yeah, I think that one, so that's a perfect example of like something beyond the ecological impacts is the cultural impact, right? Like the loss of joy for seeing a certain species. And I think that something like the Canada Jay is a great example of something that a species that can bring a lot of joy to people. they very friendly birds, uh, very curious, and people have had a lot of amazing interactions with them coming down, feeding right from their hands or being around their house when they're having a picnic in the backyard or something. And with that species being basically not present anymore in the park, um, that experience is not possible um, for the local community. And I think that that's true on a lesser scale for a lot of the other species that we are seeing less and less of. Um, especially like morning dove and some other common feeder birds that people love to see like evening growth speak as well in the winter. Um, so these kind of really colorful, exciting winter birds that bring a splash of joy into your life um, when when you're very cold and staying at home by the wood stove is <laughs> something where we might be missing but at well, the same token we're we're gaining a lot of those colorful birds too. Um, exactly. So it's a, it's an interesting change.
1: Yeah, the northern cardinal. I mean, uh, we don't we don't see those out here in the west.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Kyle, it's been great um, catching up um the bird species. Um, what's your your next study? Are you going to start to dive into that raptor information from the Hawk Watch?
2: Yeah, we have a lot of different stuff going on. Um We've recently added a new tract of land. It's all forested and we're very interested in doing some research on the bird abundance and um, what species live there and trying to get a good idea of what is currently there. So that way we can monitor that as generations go by and this long-term study thing can again appear and we can do another local analysis of how these bird populations have changed, um, but that's obviously far down the road. But we need to start doing things now. At the same token,
1: and as you you touched on earlier, um, there's a correlation between the departing bird species, the arriving bird species, and the the vegetation, the tree species. Is, yeah, has, absolutely. Have you looked closely at that and say, you know, we've we've seen these increases in the bird species, and we've seen these declines in the in the acres of spruce or fir.
2: Right. And we haven't done anything specifically looking at that, the interaction of those two. We've we've now, we've done this analysis for these birds, just seeing how the population has changed. And we've done a lot of analyses specific to these environmental aspects and noticing how like sea level has changed or uh how the matrix of urbanization and forests and agricultural lands. Uh, comprise the landscape, but we haven't yet interacted or or looked at the interaction between the two. And so that's absolutely something that we're interested in and the limitations there are are really the data sources and um, the methods in which data have been collected. So we are working to design new studies that allow for that sort of analysis. um, And that's something that's super, super interesting for us in the future.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure it is. I mean, because you can look at how the human footprint has degraded habitat, and yet when you go into a national park where you've got forests that have stood there for, for decades, if not centuries, I mean, obviously over the years there have been fires that have taken out acreages of forest and it's come back, but nevertheless it's it's somewhat stationary compared to, you know, Somebody coming in and and cutting down a forest or or paving over a meadow or whatnot. And so the dynamics of of nature at work and how change is taking place, although on one hand it's slow, your your study here on what's going on with the bird species really brings um, to the forefront how climate change is changing things and, and people can actually go into Acadia and see those changes. At least if you've been a long time visitor to Acadia and you've you know, grown up seeing boreal chickadees and now all of a sudden you're seeing the Northern Cardinals and no boreal chickadees, you have a tangible focal point of what climate change is doing.
2: Absolutely. Um, and I think that that brings another great point into this is that the CBC circles that we count within, um, they encompass a large portion of the park and The park makes up a large, I think, I can't remember the exact number, but a decent portion of the actual circle, but there is also a lot of non-protected land um, that is included in this, in these studies. So it kind of goes to show that the conservation that needs to be done is, is really at a broad scale. It can't just be, because birds are so, they have such an ability to travel, right? They have wings that they can fly and they fly thousands of miles. So in migration, um, you know, their conservation actions are really needing to be at a broad scale.
1: For sure. For sure. Because uh, on those migrations, they, they do have to stop from time to time, some of the species and, and rest and uh, take on uh, food and calories and whatnot to continue their, their migrations. Although I did hear something the other day about uh, some bird species you might know um, flew from Alaska to, I don't know if it was New Zealand something like 8,000 miles straight (laughs) amazing creatures birds yeah well Kyle thanks so much for joining us today and and bringing us up to date on uh, species change at Acadia National Park and uh, we'll have to reconnect down the road when you come back with uh, your raptor studies and can tell us what's going on with those
2: yeah that sounds great Uh, I really appreciate you guys having us
1: That's our show for this week, we hope you enjoyed it. If you're a birder, the next time you go to your favorite national park, be sure to grab the park's bird list and see if you notice any changes in the species composition. Not only might that bring some of the impacts of climate change to light, but you might also find some new species to add to your life list. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks.
0: Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.